All right, friends, let's pray and ask God to bless this afternoon together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great joy that we have in being your people and being gathered here together here at Annual Conference. We pray that in this afternoon you would speak to us by your word as you've promised and that in the power of your spirit it would transform our lives, give us the minds to understand, the hearts to obey and the will to change for your glory and your kingdom. Amen. Jesus wreaks havoc in our nice, orderly world. See, we like the hierarchy of life. There are the privileged and important people at the top. They get to call the shots. They get to have the comfortable life. They get to fulfill most of their dreams and they say, life is good. And then there are the masses, and actually I mean the millions at the bottom, who have limited choices, who have limited means, and who have a limited voice. It may make us uncomfortable that that's how things are, but you know what? We like that hierarchy of life. We like it because we're at the top. There might be a few smaller levels above us, but we are right there at the top of that pyramid. We are those privileged and important people, the comfortable people at the top of the hierarchy. I mean, do you really desire to be anywhere else? But Jesus wreaks havoc in our nice, orderly world. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 22, verse 27. I'm on page 31. This is what he says. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? And the answer is, of course, Yes, it's, of course, it's the one at the table, the one who gets the meal delivered. It's not the one who prepared all the food. It's not the one who laboured over the cooking and is doing all the cleaning up. The lesser serves the greater. That is the hierarchy of life. And then Jesus rips through our nicely ordered world. And he says, But I am among you as one who serves. See, there's no doubt who the greater one is. If it's between Jesus and the disciples, or frankly, between Jesus and us, who's the greater one? Well, we'll all go, no worries, Jesus. None of us are going to quibble about that, right? He's the son of the living God. He's the great Messiah. He's the Lord ruling over all. He's the one worthy of being served. And Jesus knows it. He's leading his disciples into a worldview trap. Who's the one who's the greater? Well, it's the one who's at the table. So, bam! But I am among you as one who serves. 
and suddenly our comfortable hierarchy is torn to shreds. Because if Jesus, as great as he is, has come amongst us as one who serves, where does that leave me? What about all those people that I, well, quietly, sort of assume are going to serve me? See, I'm happy to serve you, Jesus. I mean, you're more important than me. But then there's all these other people who are sort of, well, I mean, they're nice, but they're not quite as, you know, important or as gifted or as popular or as clever as me. And they, do, they should sort of look up to me and serve me, you know, Jesus. Isn't that how it's all meant to work? I respect you. They respect me. See, pride says, pride says, serve me, honour me, because I deserve it. But Jesus says, my greatness is seen in my coming to serve you. Have a look there on John 13, 12 to 15. Jesus has just done an unthinkable thing for one who is so respected in the first century culture. He's washed the disciples' stinky, grubby feet which was only a job that the lowliest of servants would be commanded to do. From verse 12, after Jesus had washed their feet, had put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, which are very, you know, that's a lot of respect in those titles. And you're right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've set you an example that you also should do as I've done to you. Now, Jesus isn't literally saying wash each other's feet. He's saying you need to follow my example, my extreme example of free, loving, lowly service. And washing their feet was only a sign, actually, of the greater act of free, loving and lowly service that he would very soon, soon after carry out for them, namely his, his death on the cross for their sins, for our sins. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 27, 28 there. Whoever wishes to be first among you, says Jesus, must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So according to Jesus, we're to be a church that takes its lead from him. Just as he came not to be served, but to serve, that's to be our attitude in his body. We're here not to be served, not to be respected. We're here not to be honoured. Not to be appreciated, valued. I mean, I hope you are valued. You should be honoured. You should be appreciated and valued because you're a member of Christ's body. But you're not here for that. We're here to serve. Like him. We're here to be slaves to one another. So following Jesus' lead, the Apostle Paul says there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. That's not just Paul, it's all of us. Galatians 5.13, Paul says to the church, 
you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love, become slaves to one another. This is what it means to be a church that takes its lead from Jesus. In freedom, we lovingly become lowly slaves to each other. That is, out of love, we are utterly devoted to meeting the other's needs for Jesus' sake. So this is not about loving people when it's comfortable. Becoming a servant, a slave, is about meeting other people's needs, not your comfort. It's about being a blessing to them at cost to yourself. It's not about your dreams. It's not about your ambitions. And according to the New Testament, God has especially equipped you just for this task to serve others. Listen to what Paul says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. Now, twice there, Paul affirmed that the Spirit gives gifts to every member of the body. Verse 11. And again in verse uh, 7. So be in no doubt, the Holy Spirit has divinely equipped you to serve Jesus' body, the church. It's not a question of working out whether or not you're gifted for Jesus' service. You are. End of story. You have a divine contribution to make. But note from this passage, the gifts vary. So he says there in verse 4, there are a variety of gifts. And in verse 11, each one is given individually just as the Spirit chooses. In fact, he lists off a whole lot of gifts in verses 8 to 10 there. The list isn't exhaustive. There's other lists from the Spirit or that the Spirit gives elsewhere in the New Testament. Even a bit later in this book, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, or in Romans 12, 6 to 8, there's other lists, which overlap a little with this list, but... There's other ones mentioned as well. So I don't think that any of these lists are exhaustive. I think there's actually no end of gifts that the Spirit might give us with which to serve. The third thing to note from this passage is I want you to notice the purpose of the gifts. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Whatever gifts the Spirit gives you, it is not really for you. It's for the people seated around you. It's for the people you meet with at church. It's for the people in your Bible study group. It's for the people in your community. The gifts are for their good, 
even though they've been given to you. So you've been divinely equipped as the Spirit's determined to serve those around you for their good. That's good news, right? That's fantastic. What a great privilege to play a part in God's building of his people. So what's stopping you? Let's get out there. In his strength, get serving for the sake of Jesus and his church. And, you know, the conversations I've had with uh, a number of you over this week already, I've just, you know, we've been talking about our churches, and I know that many of you, actually, are already busy doing this very thing. And, you know, it brings joy to my heart in every conversation because you're out there serving to bring glory to Jesus and his church in the power of God. That's fantastic. Now, you may well have some questions about all this. Let me try and anticipate some of them. I'm over the page now on page 32. First question is this, who exactly are we meant to be serving? Is it just the church or also the wider world with these gifts that God has given? Well, you can see there from Galatians 6.10 that we're called by God to serve the wider world. We're to work, he says, for the good of all. But also, we're not to neglect the Christian community. In fact, he says there, we're to work for the good of all, and especially the household of faith. We're to especially seek to serve our sisters and brothers in the body of Christ, because we are, from last night, one body. And in no way do we want to neglect other parts of the very body into which Christ has graciously made us part. So second question then, how can I work out what gift I have from God's Spirit with which to serve? Well, here's a few reflections. You might like to jot some of them down. First of all, the truth be told, you probably have way more than just one gift from God's Spirit with which to serve Jesus and His church. You can probably use all sorts of things that God has given you for building up His people for the common good. Second, if you're trying to work out what your gifts might be, your passions, your interests, your skills, all of those things may be helpful. They may be indicative. But, and this is a really big but, this is not about self-indulgence. It's not about self-fulfillment. This is about following Jesus' lead and sacrificially serving. See, if you're just guided by your passions and your interests, it can become all about you. What do you want to do? How do you want to do it? How do you want to be fulfilled? That's not the way of Jesus. How many times have we secretly thought, I'm not going to do that job. It's a bit a bit below me. You know, I could do better than that. I can contribute in a more significant way. I mean, because of the gifts that God's given me. I could contribute on a more significant forum. So I want to keep myself for that opportunity. You know, 
Why don't you just help at the kids' club? Actually, why don't you just talk to that awkward person each week at church? Why don't you stick up posters for public meetings around uni? These are not glorious jobs. They don't require incredible gifts. But it's serving the body of Christ. And you know what? I've heard, I mean, even being a Howie, I've heard all of those jobs, kids' clubs, sticking up posters, um, talking to awkward people, being a Howie, I've heard all of those dissed. I've heard all of those opportunities for service dismissed as, well, you know, that's pitching it a bit low for the sort of contribution I can make. Do you think then that Jesus could have done something more befitting his position than wash his disciples' feet? Do you think he maybe had a few other gifts he could have used? Actually, you know what? The answer is that was precisely the befitting thing for him to do. Because his greatness is seen by coming amongst us as a servant. If you still think it's about you and what God empowers you to do, you have not got Jesus. And what it means for us as his church to take our lead from him. Jesus' love is a serving love. Serving love looks for what needs there are and asks, what might I do to meet them? And Jesus is sitting there and the disciples have stinky, grubby feet. He looks around and goes, someone better clean these feet. And so he does it. Serving love says, here's a need, Lord, please Use me in my strengths and weaknesses to meet it. You see, serving love means humility. It means thinking about their needs and not my ambitions. Serving love means taking a risk too. It may not be an area of strength. Maybe it will mean serving in an area that there's a need, but it's a personal weakness for you. Frankly, you should come and watch me teach my year two to year four Sunday school class every Sunday morning for next term. You'll see weakness right there in the room in front of your eyes. And if I can just be frank, just speak to you as a friend, at this stage of your life, at the age of 18 or 20 or 23, you probably, well, I just think you haven't done enough ministry to really have a good sense of all the gifts God's given you. I think you need to take a risk. I think you need to have a go for the sake of serving Jesus and his church and see how the Lord might use you. Maybe God will use you in cross-cultural ministry. Maybe God will bring fruit from your work with the elderly. Maybe God will really work through you to bring Christ into the life of kids or in schools. Now, I'm going to leave you to read the 1 Peter 4 passage there at point 3 about being good stewards because I want to raise another matter further down the page. And that's the challenging issue of disparity of resources. 
Uh, from my reading of the scriptures, and you might like to push back at me on this, and we can do that over meals or a question time tomorrow night, but it seems to me that God cares about the distribution of resources amongst his global people. So the passage on your page is from 2 Corinthians 8, 13 to 15. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about financial resources uh, between them, the Corinthian church, and the church in Jerusalem. And look at what he says here on the page. He says, It's not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may also become available for your need, that there may be equality. As it has been written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. Now, the reality in the church today is that there is a massive disparity of resources around the globe in terms of money, in terms of number of buildings for Christians to meet in, in terms of number of pastors, in terms of training, in terms of access to Christian resources. In just about any criteria you want to choose, Jesus' church in Australia is so rich. We are so rich. And what did Paul say here? It's not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. And in fact, the same applies across Australia. There's a very significant disparity of resources in the church across Australia. A few years ago, I was at an EU arts faculty event and we had an ex-missionary from the Northern Territory uh, visit. And he said this, he said, you guys, speaking to art students, you guys should stop buying the Sydney Morning Herald. This is before we had iPads, right? So you actually used to buy the thing. Stop buying the Sydney Morning Herald and start buying the Australian. Why? He went on, because, he said, that way you can apply for a job in Darwin and any one of you would be an incredible blessing to the church in Darwin. You are more trained, more well-schooled in the scriptures than you know, actually, and you can make a massive difference under God in the church in Darwin as you are. So get a job there. And he said that to art students. And in fact, this, and, and, and so there's a disparity around the globe, disparity in Australia, and this is now where it really hits the rubber for, road, for us, rubber hits the road for us right now. There's a massive disparity of resources across the church in Sydney. There are stacks of evangelical churches in Sydney that are in desperate need of resources. Churches that need musicians. And there's other churches that have 15 piano players who've all done their Amos and never get to play. There's churches that need Sunday school teachers and there's other churches where everyone just goes to the beach on Sunday morning. There's churches that need help running kids clubs and youth groups and there's churches where all the, all the well frankly, uni-age people go off and work an extra day's job just so they've got more money to spend on more stuff that they don't need. There's churches that need help reaching out cross-culturally in our city. 
There's churches that need help teaching scripture in schools. And, you know, uni students, oh, you're so busy, 9 to 5, 8 to 6, Monday to Friday, no time. Now, our last year here at Ancon, we talked about these needs. And I put up this slide, in fact. And I asked this challenge to the EU at the time. I said, who'd be prepared to make this commitment? Under God, I commit for the next five years to consider prayerfully how I might serve in less resourced and less reached places in Sydney, Australia and beyond. Anyone remember that? Yeah. You know, um, we put a big piece of paper down the front and I invited people who wanted to make this commitment to come and actually sign it. It was exactly a year ago. It was on the Wednesday, last Ancon. There's the piece of paper we came forward and signed. 347 people. That's amazing. 347 people from the EU said, you know what, I'm going to prayerfully consider how I'm actually going to serve less rich, less resourced. I shared that with some other staff workers around the country from AFES. Their heads exploded. It was very messy. They couldn't get the fact. You say, you've got 347 people who want to serve a less. Tell them about me. They started writing it in their prayer letters to their supporters. Heard about this astounding thing happening at Sydney University. Now, as gently as I can, if you were here last year and you, you were one of those 347, as gently as I can, I want to ask you this. Have you done anything about it? Have you done anything about it? See, I'd like us as the EU at Sydney Uni to take seriously the challenge to serve lovingly the less resourced and the less reached. I think we should be able to see, under God, a sustained flood of people from this group of Jesus' people, from this place of great riches, from this place of abundance, to serve Jesus in his church across less reached and less resourced places in Sydney and, yes, Australia and, yes, around the world. Why not? What's stopping us? I'll tell you what's stopping us. Only our commitment to our personal comfort. Only the fact that we like our privileged, comfortable life at the top of the hierarchy. Only the fact that Jesus, frankly, scares us silly with his extreme commitment to serving, which, by the way, has meant our salvation. See, as Sydney Uni people, you guys are incredibly portable. You can go just about anywhere. And the moment of choosing what work you are going to do when you graduate... And where you're going to do it is a really big moment. It's a scary moment. Would you seek out a job in Darwin? Would you seek out a job in Adelaide or Perth or Bathurst? And when you move out of home, where are you going to live? Now, I just don't hear of many Sydney Uni grads from the EU, even those who stay in Sydney, Choosing to move to Campsie or choosing to move to Lakemba or out west to St. Mary's. 
Why would you do that? They're not nice places to live. That's what's said. I grew up in Mount Druitt. Okay? To say it's not a nice place to live is a stupid thing to say. We just want to stay at the top end of the pyramid because it's nice and comfortable there with lots of flat screen TVs. So for the sake of serving Jesus and his church, acknowledging that there is a massive need and there's a massive disparity of resources and by God's grace, you can make a substantial difference. Would you prefer Campbelltown over Camperdown? Would you make that choice for the gospel? Would you choose Liverpool over St. Leonard's? Will you choose Greenacre over Guy Mere? And you know what might help you make that sort of radical decision? To in a few years actually go, you know what, I'm going to move or I'm going to take a job. Some, you know what might help you? get ready for that, is start doing it now. Why don't you start serving now in a church or an area that's less resourced or less reached? It may be in the suburb right next to where you are. You can stay living where you are, you can stay at your current church, but why don't you just go and help out in another church on the side that's less resourced and less reached, that has a substantial need? Just say, yeah, I'll come and teach kids church if you like on a Sunday morning. I'm not really doing much. I'll come and help with English classes. I'll help teach scripture if you need scripture teachers. Do something. Get yourself over the barrier of the unknown and do it because you're following Jesus' lead. You're freely giving yourself in loving, humble service to meet a need. Not because it's comfortable, not because it's cool. Because that's the way of Jesus and we're his people. And one final reflection on this, and then I'll sit down. Now's the time when you should invest, I think, in getting equipped to serve Jesus in this way for a lifetime. You already have gifts from God that you can use to serve his people. You don't actually need more training. Just start serving. But you can serve better. And if you think you can already... Thank you. Thank you. Service. (laughs) Thank you very much. You don't need more training, but if you think you currently can serve as well as you possibly can, you've probably got a little bit of humility to learn. We can all serve heaps better. And if you want to serve for a lifetime, now's the time to invest in getting skilled up as well as you possibly can. Soak as much up as you can because you want to serve as well as you can for Jesus' glory for as long as you can to his praise and for the benefit of his church. Now, the EU has tried to grab hold of this vision about being a community of servants who are going to zealously serve Jesus in the church. And we're going to hear more about that in a little while this afternoon. But right now, let's pray that our Father would shape and change us to be servants like Jesus.
Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you so much that you came amongst us not as one to be served, but to serve us. We are humbled and awed at your loving service of us, and we are ever so thankful. Please, Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, convict us, shape us, change us to be like our Lord Jesus, that we might serve not out of self-interest, not for self-glory, not for self-gratification, but to love those who have needs, to see your kingdom furthered, to see Jesus' name held up and honoured, and to see your purposes fulfilled. We give ourselves, Father, to you, to this glorious task, in your strength. Amen.